everybody. Welcome to Salmorum Liber. That's Latin for studying the Psalms. And this is a series that I'm going to be going through in the book of Psalms, the whole book of Psalms. So starting in chapter one, and we'll go all the way through to chapter 150. And so these series of podcasts are available to you to listen to at your own leisure, to sit down and maybe use in your personal study time or reflection time or commuting time, whatever you would like. Hope you find them helpful, uh, useful, and uh, I hope that they help you not only grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in your experience and worship of him. Thanks very much. Take care. Hey everyone, and I forgot to mention that uh, we'll be doing this every Thursday evening. So if you wanted to join us, you can uh, contact uh, the church at New West Community Church and to uh, get the link for this event. It is held on Zoom for now until we are allowed to go back face to face and then it will be heading to the church and then we'll be doing a blended methodology where we, we will be doing a face to face version as well as a recorded version not only for the podcast, but for other things that we may use in the future. So just wanted to mention that as uh, as you get into the Psalms with us. So let us start with reading Psalm 1, and then I'll get into the lesson for this episode. Here we go, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus is the reading of Psalm 1. And so Psalm 1, early on in history, was not really included in the Psalter as Psalm 1. In fact, it was the introduction to the whole book of Psalms. So if you remember going through the book of Psalms, there's really five books inside this Psalter, this, this book that we call Psalms. There's actually five mini books. And at the beginning of that book, this Psalm was the introduction. And later on, it was changed into Psalm 1. And if it's not the best known Psalm, it's got to be in the top 10 of people's best Psalms ever. This psalm was originally not the first psalm as we know it, but it was the introduction and is quite honestly the pattern for the content of most, if not all, of the psalms. It calls everyone to the reality of worship, informed by divine truth, and exposes the fact of a looming judgment. In older manuscripts, this psalm was written in red letters with no numbers and was meant to focus the heart on the reality of God as our creator, our sustainer, and our deliverer. So what does it mean to read this psalm as an introduction? That's a good question. Well, there's three things that I want to uh, encourage you with when I answer that question. What does it mean to read this psalm as an introduction? One, meditation. Not just worship, but also truth. And we know that meditation in a biblical sense is not just of emptying the mind. It's not emptying the mind. It's filling the mind with scripture. 
It's filling the mind with thoughts of God, and the Psalms absolutely help us do that. Secondly, it's about association. Not God to us in our agenda, rather us to God in his divine plan. And you'll see that manifest itself all the way through a lot, if not most, of the Psalms. The third thing that I wanted to bring to your attention is this idea of consecration. What I mean by that is there's a path to life or a path to death. And the path to life is found in Christ. And that path of life delivers us. It's exalted us as well as Christ. It brings us joy. And contrast to that in the New Testament, there's the path of death that is best exemplified by one of the 12 disciples, and that would be Judas, who was rejected, cursed, and full of sorrow. The fourth thing that I would add to this is the idea of separation, separation from evil, passive or aggressive hostility, a separation from friends, enemies, even those in positions of power. And there's a balance here when we read through the Psalms and when we begin meditating and associating and consecrating and separating ourselves based on what we read in the Psalms, there's a balance that we strike. One, that we're sure of our salvation and adoption in Christ. And on the balance side of that, that we are sure of our own flesh and our own fight against sin. And we'll see that, we'll see that dichotomy, that, that balance that most, if not all of the writers of the Psalms strike in their writings is this idea of the internal struggle to separate ourselves from evil around us. So threaded throughout this Psalm is the concept of a journey, two paths, two ways, in, in essence, two paths, two portraits, two presumptions. And the two paths motive is a conscious decision for the believer. We can't forget that. That now as a believer, we have the option to obey God's commands, to obey his rules, to please him or not. As an unbeliever, as someone who is unregenerate by the Holy Spirit, there are things that we can do that are good for the world, but the Bible tells us that we are not able to please God outside of Christ. So there's two paths, and it's a conscious decision for the believer. And as the law is meditated upon and found to be a source of delight, that will bring God's blessings to the one who does not work, stand, sit like the wicked around them. And this is the struggle of the Christian life, is it not? Living in the midst of people of unclean hearts and minds while seeking to know and live in the pleasure of God. This is the struggle of the Christian life. But take heart because God does not disappoint. God does not disappoint. Now in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, we read here that it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
And there's a progression here that, that we will see play out for us as we work through these first two verses. Counsel, way, and seat, that's the realm of thinking, behaving, and belonging. And there's three degrees of departure from God. Two pictures and one end. Three degrees, two pictures, and one end. The three degrees are walk, stand, and now sit. And then there's two pictures between the wicked and the righteous. And one end. It is good to read that one is blessed when there is a renunciation of the corruption surrounding us. Corruption seeks to infect us. It's insidiously and it's quiet until it's too late. And we're reminded of this in the progression of sin that James chapter 1 talks about. Where we think about sin and then we commit sin. And then sin grows into death. And see, we, we have this idea of the wicked counsel where we are thinking of sin. And the, when we sit, sorry, when we stand in the way of sinners, we're committing the sin with some fear and trepidation. And when we sit in the seat of scoffers, we've committed the sin without any fear anymore. In fact, when we're walking in the counsel of the wicked, that's an inward thing. And we're committing sin with that fear. That's the living of that outwardly. And then when we are sitting in the seat of scoffers, that is the final place of defiance. Now, when the psalmist here says delights, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, what's being communicated here is that this is what gives pleasure to the righteous. Delighting in the law of the Lord brings pleasure. To the righteous. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, this idea of meditating to oneself in this psalm carries with it the idea of murmuring, pondering, reflecting by taking to oneself. It's that, in fact, it's it's often used to describe that low guttural sound that a lion makes, almost this purring kind of action that goes on. So when someone is meditating in the book of Psalms, they will be murmuring to themselves as well as pondering and reflecting upon what is said and what they're thinking about. And this word is used for wicked. They are judged as guilty. Sinners fallibility of the people. It's a lifestyle by choice. Scoffers, or often called mockers, actively seek to do wrong to express disdain towards what is right. And finally, in this first section, the standard of righteousness is found in the law of God. It's the study and the application of it. It's not simply just the studying of it, but it's also the application of it. We're reminded of that again in James chapter 1. That what good does it do us to listen to the word if we're not doers of the word? And the metaphor is given to us that we, we look at ourselves in a mirror and then when we walk away, we instantly forget what we've seen. That's this idea of studying without application.
Moving on into Psalms 1, 3, and 4, the psalmist goes on to say, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So what is desirable and undesirable in this section? We see a tree, and we see a reference to chaff. What is the desirable and undesirable condition in this metaphor? Could it be the soil? Could it be the nutrients? Being planted here is by choice. It's not an accident. It's not by chance. It's by choice. And the metaphor of the tree indicates for us that there are deep roots. Deep roots. And it's planted beside streams of water. And its roots grow deep into the soil to not only grab those nutrients out of the soil, but to to grab the water, the life-giving water that the stream provides. Now contrast that with the chaff. The word chaff means it's a complete collapse and expulsion from the presence of God. We find that in Matthew chapter 3. However, the chaff is, is the dry portion of the wheat that, and, and is lighter than the kernel and is often separated from the wheat when it's harvested. And this chaff is thrown away. It, it's useless for anything. And so the idea of chaff being compared to a tree is quite clear. That the tree has deep roots, its leaf does not wither, and it bears its fruit in its season, continually doing this year after year. Whereas the chaff is, is here for a short period of time and then dries out and is to be separated from the kernel and essentially to be thrown away. Prospers, the word prospers here, brings to a successful conclusion. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he brings to a successful conclusion. The contrast is between the tree and the chaff, but the focus is not on the fruit or the type of plant, but the end result of their life. Let me say that again. The contrast is between the tree and the chaff, but the focus is is not on the fruit or the type of plant, but the focus is the end result of their life. You see, the ungodly may prosper now and for a time, but this life is fleeting and frail, and what happens at the recompense of God is what really matters. That's what really matters. So moving on into Psalm 1, 5 to 6, the closing of the psalm, says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is really an example of the final judgment of God. We would find cross-references to this in 2 Timothy 4, in Revelation 20, in Hebrews 9. The Lord knows Speaking of a relationship, not just a cognitive assent to some concept, but a relationship, a deep, connected relationship. We use the same word when we're talking about a man knowing his wife. 
It's not only just knowing who she is, recognizing her for who she is, but it's, it brings with it this, this deep, intimate knowledge, which includes the sexual relationship in their marriage and j- just makes it that much more important and significant. Now, when it says here that the Lord knows, we're not talking about a sexual connection here. We're talking that the Lord knows intimately the way of the righteous. This is an encouragement for us that we can see in the world does not always remain in their present state. That there will be a recompense, that there will be a settling of accounts. So let our confidence rest in the fact that God will settle the accounts and affairs of people and bring about order from what we see as chaos and confusion. But the way of the wicked will perish. Perish meaning it's a road or course that comes to nothing. Comes to nothing. Or it's coming to a ruin. All their achievements, all that they've been able to accumulate in this world, end in grief. And so there's some things that I want to to bring to our attention as we point towards Christ. Some things that I want to encourage you with. And the first thing that I want to encourage you with is the idea of sanctification. Producing fruit in its season. You see, are we delighting in the Lord's word? Are we delighting in God's law? Are we meditating upon it day and night? Are we remembering that we are rooted and established in Christ? Are we striving to obey his commands? See, we Paul, we see Paul writing in Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. Paul writes this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul is praying for. Their sanctification. They're delighting in the law of God and meditating upon it, remembering that they are rooted and established in Christ and striving to obey his commands. We also would remember that Christ talked about streams of water too. In John chapter 4, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he makes references to springs of living water. And, And realistically, why would we choose any other course of action? Why would we want to build our spiritual house, our spiritual relationship on sand? Would we not rather build it on rock so that it lasts? Christ walked in the counsel of God, not in the counsel of the wicked. And we see that when his brothers try to convince him to go up to Jerusalem. Christ delighted in the word of God. Christ found his nourishment and sustaining power in his relationship with the Father, even in the wilderness and especially on the cross. 
You see, Christ is our source of fruit. He says, he is the vine, we are the branches. Without him, we can't do anything. Abiding in Christ, we bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so as we close out Psalm 1, I want to remind you of the four R's, the resolve. What are you going to resolve to do this week as a result of reading this psalm? Are you going to resolve to learn more about the law of God? Are you going to resolve to meditate more on the law of God? And then the second R is reflect. You're going to take time to think about and to meditate on what Psalm 1 has to say to you this week. And then how are you going to respond to Psalm 1? Are there things in your life that you need to get rid of, like chaff? You need to just let the wind take it away. And then fourthly, read. I would recommend that we read this psalm at least twice this week. Read it. Read it slowly. Meditate your way through it. Think about it often in the morning and in the evening. This concludes our study of Psalm 1. In the next episode, we will be taking care of Psalm 2. Thanks so much for taking the time. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Peace.